Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. And welcome back to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. This is your host, Jeff Lerner. Excited to be with you yet again, uh, mining the wonder it that is wonderful people. And uh, I'm here with Rick Jordan today. He's a cybersecurity expert. He's got a technology company. He hosts a podcast. He's a musician. He's a pastor. He's got a documentary coming out. Uh, he's one of those guys I look at and I just go, how come, how come God issued him more time in the day than he issued me? <laughs> not, it's not fair, but uh, I, I want to know how he, how he pulled it off. Anyways, uh, Rick, welcome to the show, man. Oh, my man. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. That was a funny statement right there. You know, I'm, I'm really <laughs> grateful to be here. That's one of the struggles all the time is finding time. And I, uh, I don't think I have more than you. I, I think that I just might sleep less. I don't know. But it's uh, someone the other day was actually was my executive director. It's like, oh, I really value sleep. I'm like, sleep is a waste of time for me. <laughs> you know, if I couldn't, I, I would just completely avoid it. But I, yeah, I don't know, man. We need sleep. We need to rest our bodies. But still, if there was a way, man, if we can biohack like with Dave Asprey somehow or another and get around it, I'm all in for that. Well, I, I, first of all, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I'm, I'm constantly uh, frustrated with the fact that we, we seem to be wired to need at least a quarter of our life to just be laying there with our eyes closed. But I will tell you, you mentioned Dave Asprey. Two days ago, I got the notification that he just booked to be on the show. That's awesome, man. Way to go. That's really cool. Yeah, I was cool. hanging out with him and uh, Naveen Jain on July 4th last year. I actually cooked him a burger using his Ooh. recipe. Dave Astro, yeah, that was bacon wrapped, grass fed beef. You know, he it's it's a fantastic burger recipe, man. It's his recipe that I cooked for him. But we were just in Bellevue, Washington, just watching some fireworks. It was a good time to get to know him. Well, he actually started in IT as well. I didn't know that. But you know, now that you say it, I vaguely remember hearing that. But tell yeah. me more. Yeah, how that's an interesting pivot. So this is a little prep for you. Yeah, for his, for when he's on your show, it was at Berkeley, and he was involved in the project of sending the first email on the internet. That gives you an idea of how, wow. uh, but I was sitting in the room because Naveen Jain's a friend of mine too. He's a, the tech billionaire from Infospace and Microsoft back in the day. Right. I was sitting in the, in the studio when Dave was on Naveen's show and right in the middle of it, it was hilarious because they're good friends, by the way. That's how I was connected with them. But he, uh, in the middle of the show, Naveen's like, you know, I hear you have a six pack, Dave. Because Dave's whole story, you know, is just completely right. you know, overweight and everything. That's why he became a biohacker, all this other stuff. And right in the middle of the show, I mean, you can ask him about this. I was in the room, all right? He, Naveen's like, I think you should take your shirt off. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> but he did. He like took his shirt off and there's a six pack right there, man. I commend him for what he's been able to accomplish. Yeah. And, and you know, there's some guys that have a six pack and it's like, it's like, man, that is, that is a chemically infused hormonally oh God, yeah. engineered six pack. I feel like if Dave Asprey has a six pack, it's a, it's a pure six pack. It's, it's for sure, man. Yeah. I don't know if the dude even works out. I mean, I lift, it looks like you do too, you know, but I also know that, you know, I'm starting to think maybe I'll go after it because I used to be 280 pounds, you know, at six yeah. one, I was 80 pounds heavier than what I am right now. Hmm. Now I'm fit. I'm cut in some areas, but my, I still got that little bit of pudge in the gut, you know, and I look at that and it's like, do I want a six pack or do I really feel that carbs are life? 
because I, I still got that dude inside of me that's like, man, how about a donut today? You know, maybe maybe a cookie. It's not everyone. It's it's not all the time, but it's just every once in a while that I still go for it. Well, I have go, I've gone through periods of really intense uh, effort in that part of my life. And I've just never been able to whittle it down or whittle it up above a four pack, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what, that, what that is, I've just got like a little, a little whoopee cushion subcutaneous insert yeah, right behind my yep. belly button. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I hear you. I was even talking to a dermatologist. It's interesting to me, a dermatologist about liposuction a couple of years ago. You know, just because I was there for for something else, I had like some dry skin or something, and I just asked him about it because I, you know, what it is. I get bored in a doctor's office, so I start reading all the signs. Oh yeah, the signs. Some of them are really ridiculous, right? But then I see a promotion for this thermage thing or whatever, or free or cool sculpting, and I ask him like, yeah. "What's the deal with this?" You know, because I'm not really all for like the invasive procedure if I if I don't want to. He's like, "No, I think that's still the best route is to do liposuction." So he starts talking to me. Like, oh, I could shape you all over, you know, it'd be great. He's and and, and he loves it. He's getting all geeked out about it right. because he looked at it as he, he's like, I can give someone complete confidence in their body in just an hour. And that's how he was selling it to me, right? You know, but he was dead serious and he was coming from a place of passion about it. You know, I, I decided against it because I'm like, you know what, if I achieved 80 pounds on my own. If I, I'm not going to cheat my way to the rest of it and not saying anybody that does it is really in the wrong, you know, but it's just, that's for me. That's a personal conviction of mine that if I accomplish what I did already, if I choose to and make that decision, I could probably go the extra mile and get at least a four pack like you. Well, I, I'm not saying I've maintained it. I've, I, had it <laughs> I had it for like three days. I was taking dandelion root, which is like a natural diuretic and manipulating my sodium and water and I have yeah. a friend who's a natural bodybuilder and he's like just do this for six days you'll get as lean as possible and I did it and I'll admit I, it was it was my after picture that I'll use till the day I die oh absolutely it, it didn't feel super sustainable so <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm married I, you, every now and then right are you married yeah dude I'm married three kids my twins just turned 13 I boy girl twins uh, just turned 13 last Monday uh, it's uh it's pretty fun watching them grow up man and it, it, that's another thing, you know, I've heard, I've heard it all, man, especially having twins. And then I have a younger one too, who's 10, you know, right when they were born, it's like, Oh, twins, how are you going to handle that? And then now it's, Oh, you got twin, two teenagers at the third, right. at the same time. I'm thinking, I'm like, but you don't understand. It's like three years from now, I'm going to have three teenagers at the same time. Cause I'm going to have twin 16 year olds and a 13 year old, but it doesn't bug me, man. It doesn't phase me. Just like when twins were born, you just do it. That's the yeah. end of it. And dude, I could not be more proud of my kids because even that, that scenario I was talking to you about with Dave Asprey and Naveen Jane, we're watching fireworks in Bellevue. And my son was with me at the time he was 12. And my son's holding a fantastic conversation with Naveen. And my yeah. son walks away and he looks at me and goes, how old's your son? And I said, he's 12. He goes, oh, I didn't know they could be that coherent at that age. Like, <laughs> that's right. That's my boy. Nice. nice. Boom. Well, I asked if you're married because I assume your your wife thinks that you are uh, at least not unattractive. <laughs> she does think I'm pretty attractive, yeah, and that's well, then, uh, then I'd maybe say the good, only man. one in this world. But she she does, yes. <laughs> well, then I'd I'd say you're good, and maybe yeah, you save save your money on on cool sculpting or whatever. I, I'm married. I'm happily married, and that that's that's enough for me. When I was single, I was much more concerned about these things. Yeah, I get you. Yep. Um, which maybe is a trap because actually maybe you should be more concerned about being attractive for the person who loves you than oh, all the people who did it. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, 
I was throwing it out there. Yeah, so, <laughs> I was doing a TV segment. It's funny we're we're diving down this rabbit hole too. I, I, I love it. Actually. I don't know how we got here. But. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a TV segment last year, and it was like a New Year's thing, right? I, I was on, invited even on Fox LA. Then COVID hit, and things went went weird. But with this thing, I, I was talking about because uh, you know my whole theme is all in, right? That's my right. personal brand. And one, every single letter stands for something. And one of the L's is live healthy because it's something that really, really resonates with me. And I was using examples of like Dwayne Johnson and Chris Pratt yeah. you know, and saying, listen, they don't, you know, just work out endlessly just to look good. That's not their end game. That's not their outcome. It's a tool to get the most highest paid and leading roles that exist in acting in Hollywood right now. They maintain it for that reason. And right. that's the same thing that it's sort of like why I maintain it now too, because I want to show people, I speak on stage, I'm launching a mastermind in my industry too. And I'm like the textbook dude that, because my industry is cybersecurity, right? And right. It, it's generally male dominated and you sit behind a keyboard all day, you're ch chugging down Mountain Dew, you're eating McDonald's all the time. Mostly everyone in my industry is overweight or at least the majority of them are. Mm -hmm. So to maintain that, it's like it, it's intentional to stay the way that I am. And while it would be great when I'm speaking at a conference somewhere to be able to rip my shirt off and be like, hey, this is what you could achieve, I think I still get the same effect right now because like you said, you know, it's really just for one person that, right. I, that I, I look the way that I am. And that one person isn't even my wife. It's really for me. Yeah. Because dude, if, if I don't work out in the mornings, my head's not right. You know, if I don't make sure that when I look in the mirror that I can actually smile back at myself, my head's not right. And so that what I do in my disciplines are really to put me in the right place so I can be the best for everybody else. You know, it's interesting touching on this and, and my platform, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I come from the digital marketing space. Yeah. And now I, I more broadly teach sort of entrepreneurship and, you know, really just having an, I teach excellence as a, as a core theme. Like if you're good enough, you can have what you want pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. And, and uh, but it's interesting. You talk about, you know, you mentioned you were 80 pounds overweight or 80 yep. pounds above your current weight, which I assume you would say you were overweight. Um, <laughs> I was definitely I, overweight. I yeah. wouldn't put a word in your mouth, but I kind of <laughs> that vibe. Um, but anyway, so it's interesting how people whose pendulum has swung to a place of real dissatisfaction. Yeah, man. Very often are a lot more, you know, fastidious about not letting it creep back in that direction, right? Yeah. But for me, I was half a million dollars in debt at 28 years old as a, as a piano player right, who made $40,000 a year. And I lost the franchise restaurants. It was a whole mess. So for me, I, the reason I teach financial education, the real reason I teach business is because I was the equivalent of 100 pounds overweight financially. It just, it sucked. I felt miserable. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so obsessed with not going back there for myself and, and frankly, helping other people too. It, it's interesting how you know, they say your mess becomes your message. You're, you, you hit bottom and bounce. I mean, all these cliches, but like, that's really how it is. And sometimes I look at people and I think, you know, they're not good enough because they never had it bad enough. Oh, that's a great perspective, man. Yeah. And, that, sure. and that if, if, the, if life had hit them a little harder, maybe they'd be hitting back a little harder. And, and I think for me, at least it's become a real gratitude. Like it's not just yeah. tolerance, it's gratitude for all the, the crap that I've had to go through. And I don't know, man, that what you're saying just makes me think of that. So I appreciate that, man. I, uh, I look back at my life at different segments and it's almost like the traumatic experiences that start to define you. 
And it's almost like you've lived maybe six or seven different lives mm -hmm. until you've gotten to this point because it's like those traumatic experiences start a new chapter, a new segment in your life. But those traumatic experiences tend to push you further along. And it, it just chisels away, you know, if you're thinking about like a, a, those old Greek statues and Greek mythology, you know, how long it took and it started just so unrefined is, is this big block of just marble or, or some kind of stone. And all those years it took just to chisel these things away, you know, and it, it sucked because even the, the sculptors, the, they were injuring themselves while they were doing these things, <laughs> you know, literally working themselves to the bone to make this masterpiece. You know, it, it takes time to do that and it takes traumatic experiences in your life and difficulties and hardships to actually form who you are. And usually the reason you're becoming is who you are because I believe in divine purpose. Uh, the, the reason you're becoming who you are is because you have other people to serve in that lane. Yeah, and you're talking about the message, how your mess becomes your message. That resonates a lot with me because... I tend to get bored with my message sometimes. And I had to learn a valuable lesson in this, especially with the 80 pounds overweight. You know, that was eight years ago now. And I, I, can't, I can't count how many times I've told the story right. and what it led into and how it worked and how I did it wrong, which led into me almost dying and everything else. There's a whole story behind it that I've told over and over and over and over again. But what I failed to realize, and I started noticing this, and it was like a check in myself, is no matter if it was the 10th the time or literally the 1,000th and 10th time that I told the story, the people that I was talking to, it was the first time that they heard it at that point. And it moved them every single time to make a good decision in their lives. So your mess becoming your message. Dude, anybody that has this, you're going to get bored talking about it because you start to think that, well, that doesn't define me anymore. My overweight self from seven, eight years ago doesn't define me anymore. That's not even who I am. You look back at pictures and say, I don't even recognize that dude anymore. You know, it doesn't have to be weight. It could be a bad marriage or, or anything else, but you come out of those stories and it's able, it's something that you're supposed to share with everybody else. I had a coach tell me one time that the story that you most don't want to tell is the story that you absolutely have to tell. And I add on, it's over and over and over again that you have to tell it because there's always going to be somebody new that can grab onto it and move forward in life because you went through your mess. You can lift them up out of theirs. You know, it's, it's it, it, like, you're my guest and I don't, I want to, I want to focus on you. I just, I, so I'm like, don't say it, don't say it, but I have to share because <laughs> please, yeah. so like, like cosmically aligned that you're saying this literally yesterday. I had this exact conversation with one of the most intuitive, gifted storyteller and enroller people I've ever known is a, a woman named Forbes Riley. Oh yeah, I know Forbes, yep. Yeah, so you know, yeah. she sold two and a half billion dollars worth of product on infomercial. Clearly she yep, knows yep. something about talking to people and connecting, right? So I'm working on a project with her and she says to me, she's like, Jeff, you know, I've never asked you, you mentioned that one time and she's like, I kind of left it alone because I didn't want to like touch a nerve, but you mentioned one time you have like this genetic thing, this genetic condition you grew up, I guess you don't grow out of it, you've always yeah. had it, you always will. She's like, what's the, what's the deal with that? And I told her about it and I started talking about it. And I was walking around Walmart looking for a, a USB cable because the cable on my mic went out. Yeah. And I'm walking around Walmart. All of a sudden, I'm like getting like cloudy eyed. And I'm like, Forbes, I, I just came here for a cable. And now, now I'm crying in Walmart. I can't talk. And, and I have this thing. She's huh. like, Jeff, come on. You're 41, man. First of all, that's not your life anymore. 
Yeah. Not getting bullied in school, but you have to start talking about it. Like you have to. The yep, fact yep. that we're such good friends and you don't want to tell me about it is exactly why you have to start. So anyway, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to talk about it here, but just know that I agree and I've got my thing <laughs> and I know what I need to go do. And I couldn't agree with you more. Dude, uh, it's weird because you start to try to process every single time you tell the story, you process it all over again, even though yeah. it's your story. Yeah, because it's that, it's that deepest part of you that you're starting to expose. And so it makes you relive it again. And it makes you start to think, how did I even get to that point in my life? You know, to, to where, you know, maybe you were traumatized because of bullying or with the weight with me, whatever it is, you start to relive all the experiences before that moment when you made that decision to do something about it or to come out of it. And that, that's the tough part is you have to continuously process it. But it's almost like going back to that Greek sculpture, right? It's almost like that's the fine tuning because you could have something that looks really, really good. But when you have a true artist, right, when you're examining yourself, when you have a true artist and you start looking at this thing, you always, always find something, one little speck that might be out of place and you're like, I'm gonna tap into that. Think about painters. I mean, most painters feel that their work is never really finished. Even a, a, any masterpiece that they may create, the whole world's like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. But they themselves are looking at their own design, their, their masterpiece and thinking, you know what? If only I could just make one more brushstroke, that might do it. But then they do that one. And then right after that, it's like, you know, what? I think maybe two more over here. It's never complete. And this gets into, I've been talking a lot about contentment too lately, man, because coming from the, the spiritual background that I have, you know, I'm an ordained pastor. I help launch three churches and there's this word contentment that floats around a lot in the spiritual world saying, you know, you should be content with what God gives you, you know, and I look at it a very different way because I think it's taken way out of context and it's like, I will be content the day I die or what, two hours before I die and I look back at everything that I was given to do on this planet, be like, man, you know, if I had more time, I could do more, but this is my time right now and I did everything that I possibly could. That's when I'll be content. For the time being, I'm gonna keep chiseling away, keep fine tuning at every single opportunity I have. Yeah, I've said before, and it's been quoted back to me that I once said it, that if I was ever satisfied, I'd be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I even think those are two different things like satisf uh, satisfaction and contentment, I think are two yeah. different things. Contentment is a, you know, satisfaction saying, cool, that, that, that part was good. You know, I think you can be satisfied in a moment, but you shouldn't have eternal satisfaction. I can't even say the word satisfaction. Oh my gosh. Right now, <laughs> right now in this, you know, forever, because almost, that's almost dwelling in, Everyone says, you know, don't dwell on your losses, but I also right. don't think that you should dwell on your wins very long. Celebrate in the moments, but then there's always something else to happen. There's always something more to achieve. If you just stop right now, you know, I'm 40. If I just stopped right now and said, you know what, I've achieved multi-million dollars, you know, my, my net worth is X, this is cool, I'm good. I could just go to an island or whatever it is right now. You know, but then I look forward, it's like, but I still got at least another 40 more years, yeah. at least I'm planning on, what more can I do? I'll be content when I'm 80 and looking back at my life. Yes, yeah, satisfaction times time equals boredom. Oh my, my God, that's a great formula, yes. <laughs> my, my, da my dad uh, always said his, growing up, he always said his goal was to retire at 50 because he just wanted to get out of the fray and uh, yeah, we yeah. lived in a big city, Houston, Texas. He, he almost made it, he retired at 52, moved to the mountains of Montana, signed a three-year non-compete with his old firm that he sold out of, so he wasn't able to work. 
it almost killed him. Yeah, yeah. And finally, his non-compete expired, and he was just like so eager to dive back in. And you know, it, it's a, a classic example. I mean, how, everybody says I'd love to retire as a multimillionaire at, at 52 years old, and I promise you, careful what you wish for. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, okay, which um, I don't get that. That's more of a yeah. I, I hear you on that phrase too. I mean, I do get it. I understand the drive for that, and I think it's more of a selfish drive in that mindset thinking that, you know, I'm going to work until I'm 50. And then when I get there, I'm going to retire. That's almost a sign. I'm only good enough, you know, for myself. I'm not yeah. good enough for other people too. That's a, that's a really good perspective. Actually, that's a very insightful perspective. If I map it to his life, because they got very into service from that point on. Yeah. Yeah. Foundations and boards and just, yeah, man, taking care yeah. of everyone. But uh, it's like I, a lot I, of they didn't have me to take care of anymore, so they just took on the world. <laughs> yeah, right on. And that's how it's supposed to be, right? Because, I mean, they've been through a lot of things, and now they can share that with other people. Man, I'm so grateful for some of the people that have come into my life, even just this past year. Because they're typically in the older generations. You know, like I said, I'm 40. But now they're seeing where I'm at in business and where I'm at in life. And most are in their 60s that have come around me. And they're like, you know what? I think I got more energy to give, but I don't have to be the quarterback anymore. Right. Now I can be the coach and I can pour into somebody that really wants to do something meaningful and it fulfills them in that season of their life. It's pretty cool because now it's like I get to learn from some of the best that are out there, but yeah. now they can pour into me and in the same time, they're fulfilled in, the, in that season of their life. They don't have to be like, well, what now? Well, what now is sitting right in front of them? What now is everybody else that's being lifted up and rising up right now to do similar things to what they did that can even improve on what they did? So... You mentioned, uh, you know, kind of where you're at now in your life. I, I'd love if we could backtrack because I, I don't know that my audience necessarily knows you. Um, it, it, as I've gotten to know you from, you know, researching you because I knew you were coming on my show and yeah. I've, I've also followed you a bit uh, just personally. But um, can we back us up? Like, so you're a pastor, you're a musician, you're a cybersecurity <laughs> expert, yeah. you're a movie producer slash talent you're you've got all this stuff but like I'd like to roll back to just you know Rick Jordan wide-eyed guy who hopes for cool things in his life like what tell me about that person and how the heck you got here yeah man I uh well one day it was during a, a blizzard I think my parents got together and then nine months later I came along all right. <laughs> I was legit a blizzard baby I mean that's, a, that's where it came out. I was born in 1979 so I was born in the 70s by two months right because my birthday's in October I know that's not what you're looking for but it's just funny to me it's part of my story I was you know? born in 79 too so I'm oh nice yeah <laughs> well mom because there was that huge blizzard from what I was told anyways in like January and then then there's me nine months later I was born in March, so I was actually conceived in 78. Okay, well, that's fun. <laughs> Assuming it works the same way for all parents. Then. Hopefully, maybe. That's what I've heard, yeah. <laughs> Going through my childhood, man, I mean, I was an only child for five years, which was interesting. And I got all the love and undivided attention of my parents, and then my brother came along five years later. It was cool. My sister a year after that. And, so, you know, it was interesting in that aspect because I, I love my brother and sister, but still there was that large age gap with them. So that no matter what phase I was at in my life, it never really matched that phase. Mm -hmm. And that held true all the way to when I was 16, when my dad passed, you know, and around in that moment too, man, I don't know why it was this, but 
around that moment, I started having like this protection instinct that started coming up inside of me, man. And this comes from being bullied a bit too, you know, because it, even though every fight I got into, man, in junior high, high school, whatever it was, I won. But it, it was always the, the amount of patience that I had when I look back, it's still today, you know, it's, it's interesting because I would take punches, several punches, and I'd still be talking to the person be like, I, I don't think you want to do this, man. You know, not, not even sure that I would be the one to win it. Right. But I just knew that if it got to it, if I made that snap decision, it was control that I was going all in and there was no way I was the one that was limping out. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's, I knew that. And that's what would happen is there would be this steep drop off. I'd have infinite patience until a moment where I made a decision and then that was it. And nowadays it's the same exact thing, you know, in business and everything else. When I coach people, I will give people to the end of the earth, man, until the point to where I think that they don't want themselves to be helped. And that's when I lose, I, losing interest might be the bad phrase, in that, but it's like, I recognize the fact that there's nothing that I can do for that person anymore. And the outcome is just going to be the outcome and it's of their own design. And so I trace all this back to being bullied. But then at 16, when my dad passed, I'm like, you know what? I think I want to be a cop because you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I want, and this is a 16 year old's perspective on the world, right? Because I'm looking around, I'm like, what can I do to make a difference? How can I help protect people? The, the, the underdogs, the people that are being wronged. And that was the only thing that I knew. When I, when I was 16, so it's like, I'll be a cop. So I, I joined police cadets. I was accepted into that. I was with that for a few years until I was going to go into the military because that's what I thought. I'm like, I'm going to serve. And then in that moment, I'm like, I'm joining the Marines. After I get out, I'll go into state law enforcement because it seemed like a clear path, man, and have my trajectory set until the Marines said, we don't want you <laughs> when I was 18. <laughs> Isn't that great? I had a medical history of asthma from when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it was only 12 or 13 years only, I say, since I had some issues, they're like, we don't want you. But that instinct still, that protection instinct still stays with me through today. And it's more of like, I will fight for the underdog, man. Anybody that I feel that is, that is being wronged, including myself, uh, anybody that I feel is being wrong, I will come to their aid as fast as they can be a total stranger. It doesn't matter to me. Well, that seems like a, a, you know, a fairly obvious theme. I mean, as a, as a pastor, you shepherd a flock. As, yeah. a, as a, a cybersecurity person, you, you know, protect people and net, networks and the people they affect. And, and obviously with your film, uh, I think you're trying to do us all a, a service of protection through information. Yeah, you're right, man. I, Liberty Lockdown, I'm really excited about this. And this is where you start doing things in life and then they yeah. just kind of come to you. Yeah. It, it, it did just come to me. I mean, it, whatever way you feel about spirituality or the universe, whatever it is, you know, if it's karma, I really feel that what you throw out there is what you're going to get back. You know, what the type of energy that you project, the way you treat people. So the producer came to me because I've been in two, two other films so far, also documentaries based on cybercrime. And the, the director and I really resonated. So he approached me. He's like, would you want to executive produce this piece? And I said, dude, you have no idea how much you're speaking to my heart right now. Yeah. Because what I see with, with the media, with politicians, you know, with everyone, it's that there is so much filter that's happening right now and everything is spun in a certain direction. You know, I used to say, imagine if everybody just actually said what is really on their minds. You know, now it's imagine if everybody actually put out information to the public that was the actual truth and facts. 
Yeah, so that's what I'm looking to do in this film, you know, is really talking about government overreach. And it's, you know, if you look at like COVID versus the Constitution, that's kind of the perspective that we're taking. It has nothing to do with pro-mask or against mask, because I know that's a big thing, right? It's just, where's the legality in that? Because if we look back to our founding fathers in the Constitution, there is nothing that exists in any documentation that is either for or against. What it is for is our freedom of expression and even more so our freedom of choice. You know, especially in the First Amendment, everything else, you can dive into the technicalities of those things. But that's what we're doing is just, I want to ask the questions, man, because I don't want people to just be sheep and accept things blindly. My, remember I said I was going to join the Marines? Yeah. I had a friend who was a Marine who I looked up to. He's a mentor in my life, 10 years older than me. He's the one who actually brought me into the technology field too. And I told him like, man, I'm really bummed about the Marines. He was like the big brother, big sister kind of person after my dad died, right? And he goes, you wouldn't have made a good Marine, Rick. I'm like, I was kind of taken back and offended. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, I'll go after anything, anytime. You know, he was like, here's the problem. If your commanding officer says, hey, Rick, go attack that hill, the right. first word out of your mouth is going to be why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, you can't do that in the Marines. Right. <laughs> He's like, maybe the Army. You know how the Marines and the Army have the, the whole thing back and forth. But that's the same principle. You know, is that I just want people to ask the question, why, rather than follow blindly. Because if the truth is there, the answer to that question of why is pretty self-evident. That's what I'm hoping this is and saying, listen, whether it's this crisis or the next crisis that comes down the road, you know, take a look even back to 9-11 if you want to look back historically and everything that happened with the Patriot Act and everything after that. Whether you agree with it or not, does it stay in tune with the spirit of our founding fathers, how this country was started in the first place. Yeah. You know, I do, um, part of my, part of my health initiative in my life is I do meal prep, right? Yep. yep. I carry meals when, whenever I travel, I try to take at least a couple days worth of meals. So wherever I go, I don't immediately fall into ordering room service. Yeah. And I, I basically had to start getting really meticulous and prepackaged powdered food because they won't let me take the freezer packs because by the time I get halfway through security, they've started to melt and they've got a little bit of liquid in them. And now they don't, when they're, when they're frozen yeah. blocks of ice, you're cool. Yep. If it starts <laughs> melting even a little, now you can't take it through security. And, and if it's, you know, <laughs> Greek yogurt or uh, cottage cheese, they're too, if it's too runny. Oh yeah. I'm yep. like, come on, come on, you know? Yep. I'll tell you, so I went, my family has a, we have a house up in central Utah. I live in Southern Utah. And it's just this little country kind of bucolic place in a, a, you know, a town that I wouldn't say time forgot, but times, you know, slowed down quite a bit there. And uh, he, my, my, it's my wife's dad's home and he passed away and we just kind of use it as a family home there. And when this whole COVID thing happened, we were like, let's just go up there and kind of, we'll take the kids and we'll just chill, right? We'll go to a place where COVID probably can't reach or more, more than COVID can't reach the COVID response can't reach. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And he had a, one of those calendars where every day there's a quote or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sitting in his office, actually about to host a podcast interview. And I look up to my right and he's got this little note posted on his, on his desk that says, and it's a Ben Franklin quote that says, those who would sacrifice essential liberties for a bit of freedom. No, for, for a bit of security. Those who would sacrifice essential liberties for a bit of security deserve neither liberties nor security. Yeah. Right on. And I was like, 
this is a sign. I mean, this is what I needed to hear in this yeah. moment because I yeah. was having all these feelings that are consistent with what you're saying. And it's, you're right, man, going back to the founding fathers, like this is not right. It's not, yeah. Yeah. you know, if the government isn't meant, the federal government at least isn't meant to come in and just tell everybody what to do. If it's not mandated in the constitution, first of all, it's supposed to cascade to the States. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. You know, and, and, um, that's where I think a lot of this scenarios have come out of is with the state governments, you know, because I, I've been traveling the past month and a half, man. And my assistant was like, dude, I've either taken you to the airport or picked you up 13 yeah. times in the past two and a half weeks. Yeah. And travel's wild right now to begin with, but still seeing all the different responses and the, the entire spectrum, man, from people that are pro freedom to those that are like, Hey, let's complete pro science. You know, if I could call it that way, cause that's a phrase that I've heard a lot is like, just look at the science, look at the science on one side of the spectrum and everyone else is on the other side is saying, but we want the economy to move and we want, yeah. you know, everybody to have choice in their life. You know, I, I, like most things, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. And I was having this conversation the other day with someone too, uh, about, because they, I was really just gaining perspective and they found that out about 10 minutes in the hour long conversation, because I genuinely want to know, I genuinely want to understand how the other person on the other side is feeling, mm -hmm. you know, cause it helps me maybe be a little bit more relatable to them in the conversation. I really want to hear what they have to say. And he was saying, you know, you know, we're talking about people's lives here. And that's what it just came back to is that, you know, wouldn't you want to wear a mask? just to stop other people from dying. And I said, yes, if that was actually it, absolutely, I would want to do that. You know, but if it, it's not the question of would I do that to save a life or not, it's the question of whether it legally can be mandated by these mini kings, the governors in the right. state or not. You know, that's really it because it, I think it would have been way different of a response, you know, and I'm not talking red or blue states here. It's just what it is way different of a public response and not so divisive and polarizing if it would have come from the approach. And maybe this was needed from the federal government because it was mixed messages there to saying, Hey, mask wearing, this is the science behind it. We encourage you to do it. If you want to feel like you're contributing to preventing the spread of this, that's awesome. Can we all be in this together? Can we be all in as a country and dive this way? You know, and really just education and rallying rather than coming down and saying you have to. You know, that, that's never resonated in the past 250 something years of this country. Yeah. The whole reason we broke away from England is because of the you have tos and the you musts. You know, that's not how this country was founded. And now when we look at these, you know, the federal government actually I've learned has very limited powers you know, in, in these kinds of scenarios. And it's really the states, the governors that have the individual state governors that almost have carte blanche. You know, now different state constitutions have to deal with different extensions and, the, and how far they can go with these things. But for the most part, you've got one group on one side that says, yeah, take away my freedom and I'm going to kill you. And you've got the group on the other side that just says, hey, whatever you say, right. you know, because I feel like you're in power, even though I didn't vote, I feel like you're in there for a reason and you're supposed to tell me what to do. I just hope that everybody can be lifted up to a point to where they can ask that question, why? And if the, the truth is there, it will always be self-evident. Yeah, you know, I, I remember um, I read this book. I'm kind of, a, I kind of lean more towards like the Austrian school of economics. Um, yeah. I read this book by Henry Hazlitt and it said, the thing that's so hard for people to understand about economics is that it's the only social science that's supposed to disregard 
the, that's supposed that doesn't allow for a tyranny of the minority. Yeah. Like sociology, you know, allow you say, Oh, the, we gotta, we gotta do whatever we gotta do to, to preserve one life or one scenario or comfort one person or whatever. Economics is about allocation of resources to create the greatest amount of good for the greatest number of people. Yep. It's yep. not racially oriented. It's not so, you know, economic, it's not uh, financially oriented. It's just about yeah. allocation of resources, right? It's the most inclusive philosophy that exists. It is. And <laughs> yes. It's harshest for the people who don't benefit from it. Yeah, right on. Because it doesn't, it's not, it's not a feelings-based philosophy. Yeah. And I think that if we had looked at the world, if we had, if, if we had taken the approach, and, and this is, by the way, I think, I think you've, you've teased out of me the first public voicing of an opinion on this subject that I've given <laughs> the entire oh. time it's been an issue, but I'm just going to say what I think. I feel I accomplished. Like said, <laughs> if we had come out and said, okay, how do we work together as a, as a population yeah. to keep the economy going in the safest way possible? Yep. That would have actually been the most efficacious and fair way to, and I hate that term, by the way, fair, to a way to approach the situation. Say, yeah. listen, if let's all wear masks so that we can keep our businesses open. Yeah, right on. But to say, you all have to wear masks. Oh, and by the way, it's kind of pointless because you're not even allowed to leave the house. And we're going we're gonna to create depression. We're going to create unemployment. We're going to create, uh, you know, probably I, I, you know, mass rates of suicide and, yeah. and social anxiety and pharmaceutical use is going to go up. And like, you can't Anti quantify those consequences until 10 years later when history is going to say, man, those guys really screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have no doubt in my heart that that's what's going to happen. And, and it, it is, it's because fundamentally when we're just being bossed around, yeah. No, nobody's got the, nobody really has the greater good. If, if you're being bossed around, it's because somebody else is asking what's in it for me. Oh, always. That's absolutely the case. You got it. Um, so anyway, there you got, you got it out of me. I love it, man. You. That's great. <laughs> we should okay. talk more often. You know, I can, we can pull things out of each other. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's funny actually. I've, and I'm curious, like I'm asking you to, uh, cast, cast judgment on me, if you will. I have taken the approach for the last, and not judgment, but I'm curious yeah. in your opinion about this perspective. For the last five months, since this nonsense broke out, I've said, I'm going to focus entirely what I can control, yeah. and I'm going to ignore, to a fault, what I can't control. I deleted all the news apps from my phone. I deleted all the social media apps from my phone. I even went so far as to ask my assistant to say, if I want to make a post on social media, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slack it to you, and I want you to make the post. Because I don't even want to risk seeing the feed. Yeah, yeah. And I've been like that for months. My business has grown 800% in four months. <laughs> By you the way. all distractions, man. Yeah. yeah, it's been the greatest. I've, I'm, yeah. I'm in better shape than I was four months ago. I have more money than I did four months ago. My marriage is better. My relationship with my kids are like, my life is so much better than it was four <laughs> months ago because I blocked all the crap out. Am I being socially irresponsible? I don't I'm think curious, so. I'm curious I, your thoughts because what if yeah. everybody just did what I did? Uh, that'd be interesting because it's almost like you, I don't think that you isolated per se. It doesn't sound like that. It's more like no, you I just, I leaned into mattered. the technology and the networks yeah. that already existed. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, it's, it's an interesting perspective and I, I would want that. That sounds like a great social experiment. 
for real, if you could get a small population to do something like this, just to see how people live, you know, and then it's almost like you have one person that makes the posts and then reviews the comments. I mean, I have a team that does the same thing, you know, but I still go on there and right now and I look at the comments and, and such, but it's especially when you get into scenarios like this that are very polarizing to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, it can be very, very distracting. Yeah, and whether you make a post or not, it's almost like it, you feel what you feel and it just needs to get out there regardless because it, we're, in a, we're in a different mode than, you know, and this isn't like comparison at all, but, you know, somebody who might just go to a factory and produce a widget, you know, like right. a little spray nozzle or something like that. You know, social media is fantastic. And I've always said this too, social media is a very real space for 99% of the people. It's just as real as you and I talking right now. Mm-hmm. It's just as real as a text message. It's just as real as a phone call as far as how they interact. You know, we use it as more of a tool to get a message out, you know, whether it's marketing or even just, you know, putting our face out there so people can see it. It's a different approach for us. So while we can disconnect like that, and I have, you know, not maybe to the extreme that you did the past five months, but now I want to try it, you know, just because <laughs> your business has grown 800%. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you know, everything's better in life. That's great. But everyone else, though, that's almost, you know, to, to have just the general population say, you know, we're going to disconnect from social media is almost the same to me as saying, you know what, we want to have you quarantine or locked down and have you stay in your house right, and not right. talk to people. Because that is their, their mode of interaction now. While it, I feel, in my opinion, that it's less of a realistic interaction, you know, because we, we've been around long enough. I mean, even I was talking about me being the best cell phone salesperson at 18 years old in 1997 in Radio Shack, you know, and I, I brought home a $30,000 commission check in December you know, from how many freaking phones that I sold. But that was before text messaging even existed in 1997. It, it was a different upbringing, you know, and now even though you and I have embraced social media, we might have a different perspective on it. And that's the whole thing about gaining others perspective that I was talking about earlier yeah. is to 99% of everybody else. It's just as real of a space as you and I talking right now, even if we we're in person at the moment. So it's looking at it that way. I don't think that everybody should do that because that's like unplugging from society right now. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's been a little, and that's kind of why I was asking you to quote, you know, jokingly yeah. cast judgment on me is like, Am I being selfish? Because it's been very self, self-serving, yeah. but it's, you're, you, you made an interesting comment about reality. You know, reality is essentially defined by the common experience. Yeah, right on. I mean, yep. to some degree. And so if you, if you completely isolate yourself from the common experience, you could say, I'm actually the one who's not living in reality. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and certainly not relatability. And, sure. and as, a, as a communicator and a connector and frankly, as a business person, you actually probably don't do yourself any long-term favors by separating too far from the common experience. For sure. And in your case, man, I, I mean, if you're asking me to pass judgment, I would say that there is no judgment. It's just that it's like a season, right? And you yeah. need to do things. I mean, it's just as simple. It's the same thing as like saying, you know what, I'm not going to drink for three months because right. I want to focus on other things because that's something that I see that's taking up my time and my energy and I don't need that. I want a clear head for three months because I have something to accomplish. You know, so that I don't see anything inherently wrong with it at all, but as long as it's in a season because the rest of the world and the culture still communicates that way in a very real way, right. just like the rest of the world, you know, still, I mean, some of the best business deals I've done, man, are, we're at bars, 
yeah, having yeah. a drink with somebody. It's the same principle to me as breaking bread with somebody that goes back all the way to the days of Jesus. You know, that's why he did it with his disciples, why he broke bread with them, because there's a bond that forms and something like that. But for me to say, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking for three months. Cool, because there's a reason for that. And I want to focus on some other things. It's almost like a fast in a way. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly how it's felt. Yeah, that's so that in that perspective, dude, I'd say rock on, man. You know, if it's a six month fast or whatever it is, and sometimes fasts don't necessarily have a definitive time frame to them. You know, it's just until you achieve whatever outcome you're going to achieve. So if there's a purpose to what you're doing right now, you know, I would say, hey, look at what outcome it is and maybe tie it to that outcome and then start. Dude, you got a journey to share now. You, get, you, you have another new message to share. Yeah, yeah. That this is what happened during this six months of my life when I completely disconnected and funneled all my social communications through a human being. Yeah, and then right. everything you got out of it. It's another message for you to lift people up. Yeah, that's a, that's a, great, uh, a great way to look at it. Um, so selfishly, I, I, I hope this will be interesting to my audience, but I know it's interesting <laughs> to me. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about if, to the extent you're maybe you're, maybe it's all top secret. You're not allowed to share, but oh, tell me about your, your cybersecurity stuff. Like, yeah. like what, what's, I feel like there's this whole world out there of, of threats and interventions and, and yeah. just that not most people are just completely oblivious of. They are. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what doesn't resonate with me much and never really aroused me is the tech side of it. And, uh, you know, anybody listening is going to freak out with this, especially if it's any clients or, or whatever. But w when cyber became a real thing, a mainstream thing, and I even think right now it's sort of not mainstream because I've done interviews with people, you know, and clients and done, you know, talking head type stuff. Just to, it's something we do, you know, like key, key person interviews. I mean, it's a conversation in front of a camera. I ask questions just to, just to gauge the level of how they feel things are going right with the relationship. And every time I've done this with an entire staff, like at a law firm or something, I, I've asked the question, you know, when's the last time you've been hacked? You know, and it's not, have you been hacked? It's when's the last time you've been hacked? Because in some shape, form or another, somebody has been part of some breach somewhere, mm -hmm. whether it's Equifax, Netflix, Marriott, whatever it is, your information is out there no matter what, you know, but every single time, nobody went to those publicized things. You know, the, those big news stories, the answer was always, always my debit card got stolen a year ago right. or my credit card was cloned two months ago. Mm -hmm. you know, everyone equated it back to this financial thing. But why did they do that? Because that's something that affected them personally. You know, money hits home for a lot of people, man. Mm -hmm. So when I've looked at cyber, I've always said, you know what, that's great with the tech and the tech is a, a great tool, everything else. But my mind has never been that of an engineer. I can dive into the engineering side, you know, like the operation side of things. But if I stay there too long, because I, you know, I was coding when I was 12, I hacked my, my schools, the high school's uh, grade system, you know, and saw everybody's grades, you know, all this other stuff, because I, it was like a penetration test. I found the vulnerability and showed it to my teacher. Then I got suspended for even doing it in the first right. grade, man. You know, it's like, I did this to show you where your holes are. <laughs> right. but, but, that, but even that point, you know, the, the purpose behind that, and this is the key to cyber is that it is still very, very human. 
-hmm. It has to be, you know, because even at the other end and dude, all these photos, like in the, in the two documentaries I was in on this, the, the photos and video images of people, you know, like in a dark corner, no face, you know, or shadowed face with a hood over their head. When I speak on stages, man, and I'm talking about security, I show a picture of a good loving family from Sri Lanka. And I'm looking, I'm like, this is the person that's stealing from you right here. It's just like freaking Pablo Escobar and his drug runs. The dude had a son, a daughter, a wife, a family. It was a business and a way to make income from him. It's not some unknown face on the other side. It's a freaking human being that is doing this. And they don't even have an emotional connection to what you do in your life and everything else. The only reason they're targeting you is because you're vulnerable. So let's look at the human aspect of why are you vulnerable? That's the direction that I've already, uh, always taken, you know, always going back to, like we talked about before with the cop stuff, the protection instincts that I have, all of that, the human side is forgotten about too much. And this is, I believe, why the Department of Homeland Security says that only 18% of cybersecurity experts, experts, <laughs> air quotes, are actually doing what they're supposed to and actually even know what they're doing in the first place. Because it's it's a competency gap in this industry too. And I get a little passionate about this because most are engineers and that's cool, dude. They do, they got a place and I can't do the stuff that they do. Hands down. I can't, I can't write AI, you know, but they provide the tools and the AI, but there's the mindset of, and this is the general consumer too, man. If I go to Best Buy and pick up an antivirus, I'm good. I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Now, when the fact is that that stuff is 20 year old tech that does nothing for you anymore. You know, the best thing that people can do anybody right now is the human stuff, right? Like go freeze your freaking credit reports so nobody can pull your information without your knowledge on it. It requires action on your part on the human side, not just letting something sit there and say, okay, I'm protected because I bought a $20 piece of software. That's not the case. And uh, since then, you know, it's come full circle, dude. I've had training from the CIA. I've had uh, elicitation and surveillance, those types of trade, trade craft. And it's still the very human side of things because I just look at things and say, you know what? If I were sitting in the shoes of this person, you know, even like an insider threat, if I were sitting in the shoes of this person and they've got, this is situational ethics, what my book is about, man. If they've got back taxes, and they've got three previous marriages that they're behind on their child support payments, they're going to make a bad decision because they're pressed up against the wall right now. And if there's an opportunity to where they can see that they can wipe the slate clean, they're going to steal from their employer. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard though I couldn't cite the source that, yeah, the, the majority of breaches are human in nature. They, yeah. It's like 78%, man. It's crazy. And I've talked to NSA guys about this too, because I've been trained by the NSA also. And the silver bullets, right? You know, say, say you find this vulnerability in Windows or, or a Mac or an iPhone or whatever it is, you know, like Jeff Bezos got hacked. You know, that's the, the biggest, most recent one from the freaking, you know, Prince of Saudi Arabia or something like that. It's, it's funny. Through WhatsApp is how he was hacked. But he's the one who let it in. You know, he tapped on a freaking link. To, right. that he sent him to, to let it in, to let that thing into his phone. It, most of these people, that silver bullet, man, you know, that 22% or whatever it is, when you figure out something that nobody else knows as a hacker, meaning like Microsoft doesn't know it exists, right. we call that a zero day exploit in our industry. It's just tech phrasing for that. Nobody knows about it yet. You know, the, the, the maker of the software doesn't know about it yet. They find that that's not something you waste on a middle-class American making $80,000 a year. 
because they don't have a lot of assets to steal. That's something that you freaking save to use on Putin or Kim Kim Jong Un, you know, whoever it is. That's the time you use your silver bullet because it's a business, man. They dump like six months of time and millions of dollars of R and D into finding these silver bullets. They're not going to use on everyone else. What they do use on people like you and I, social engineering. They'll send us an email that looks like it's from Chick-fil-A. It says, hey, summertime, right? Come in and get our new raspberry lemonade. Here's a coupon. We click on it. Now it takes us to a site that looks like a Chick-fil-A site. Maybe I have an account with Chick-fil-A. I do now. I absolutely do. I log in, right? But it's a fake site that just fished my username and password. And most people will use the same password on Netflix, on Chick-fil-A, on you know, Ticketmaster, all the way down to the corporate network that they log into at their law firm or medical practice, whatever it is, and that's how they gain access to these things. Because you can, dude, you can find out where you work on Facebook, right? right? So, so if <laughs> if they if they have a bot that goes out there and pulls out information about where you work, and they also find out that you have a Netflix account, and they're able to get you to sign into a fake Netflix site, now they're going to try to use that password automatically all through bots to get into your work systems. Hmm. That's valuable to them. It all starts with a human being. Man, my, my wife was just showing off to me the other day that she now has over 10,000 points at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> She's always taking our sons and all their teenage friends to yeah. Chick-fil-A. Now, now I'm, I'm looking at that in a whole different light. <laughs> Dude, I saw that. I saw that exact fake email. That, that's a real scenario. That's it was crazy. from two weeks ago. And I had Chick-fil-A today too, by the way, for lunch. Oh, I had a- <laughs> my wife called me from Chick-fil-A to see if I wanted it, but I had a, I had a lunch appointment. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And that was super illuminating. I'm really glad I asked that question. That was exactly where I hoped you would go without knowing. Um, so I, because we've only got a few minutes left, I want to yeah, make man. sure I ask you about your podcast, All In Podcast. By the way, love the concept of all, you're all in. I'm all about excellence. I feel like we might yep, be aligned yep. in that regard. Tell me more about it though. Yeah, man, I, I love it. You know, it's, uh, I've got subscribers in 28 countries now. I'm so grateful for that. I never expected it to take off like that. And, you know, a lot of Australians, I guess, love what I do, which is interesting to me too. But it's, <laughs> I, uh, Dude, I love it. And th- this came from, this concept came from me actually sitting in a conference. And I, I plugged everything into this and into life, you know, because I was sitting in this gig and it was an a female dominated conference, you know, from a female coach. And it was just a connection that I made out of 200 women. I was one of like five dudes that was in the room. So you talk about the attention, right? Just because you're there. And I was also at a point to where I was always already successful in my business. So yeah, you get a lot of attention from a, a lot of the females. There wasn't much content in the conference that actually resonated with me because I wasn't the target audience. Right. It was those that were making under, uh, you know, 50 K a year or something like that, trying to build their business. And it was a very female oriented conference, which was cool, man. You know, I mean, they even had like meditation at night and, and stuff like that, which is just very feminine in energy. Right. Awesome. Very cool. But I'm sitting there. There's one there's one thing that I pulled out of this. And this is actually something that I believe that no matter how bad the conference, the event, the podcast episode you're listening to, even today on ours, you know, let's say nothing resonated with you at all. Whoever's listening to this, you can still pull at least one thing out Mm -hmm. every single time you hear some message to change your perspective, to drive you forward, to level up your life. You can, but that's your responsibility to do that. So she asked the question, you know, it's like, what are you known for? And I built a signature talk around this too. What are you known for? I'm sitting there 
And I remember a time, it was 2006, man, I was driving in a car. I was working at Best Buy. I was training a new salesperson that was there. He, he was already there like three months. It was still part of his integration period. And I, st I don't even remember what I was talking about, dude, but I was just getting passionate about this thing, you know, whatever it was. And I stopped I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I, I get so passionate about this. He's like, Rick, I've known you for three months. There's nothing that you decide to do that you're not passionate about. Everything you do that you decide on, you're all in. And that was it. Cause I, you know, you start running through your mind. It's like, it's the difference between what you do versus who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, what are you known for? What I do, you know, cybersecurity, I'm thinking that I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a musician. I could be a pro musician if I wanted to all these different things. You know, it's like, wait, that's not it. That's what I do. Who I am is that I'm all in. And that started this whole thing. You know, it's like, no matter what it is, man. And even there's even a segment of my show, dude, called the one thing. Every single show has a segment called the one thing. And the listeners know what it is, but I will even give them one thing. Or I ask my guests to give them one thing. So we kind of help them along a bit, right? But then also encourage, say, hey, I think you could pull out just one more thing from this show too. I might also have a segment called the straight truth. And I think we've hit on a lot of those today too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Delivering sure. the straight truth with some love, right? Yeah. For, I appreciate you asking me about you it. Get away with a lot, man. Yeah. It's my core, dude. That's, that's who I am. It's who I've always been. Well, uh, unfortunately, yeah, we're out of time. I would love to chat more and, and I suspect we'll have occasion to do so. Um, yeah, I think but I so. want to make sure that we get in here uh, to let the world know how can they go get all in on your all in world? How can they find you? How can they follow you? How can they get your podcast? All that good stuff. Dude, go to at uh, Mr. Rick Jordan on Instagram. There's a link tree link there. You'll see all of that for the, the podcast, the, the film that's coming out, Liberty Lockdown, uh, and just everything that I do. Everything in the all in world is right there. Mr. Rick Jordan on Instagram. And obviously, I'll, get, I'll gather all those links from you and we'll, we'll yeah. put them in the descriptions for the show here. Uh, Rick, this has been tremendous, man. Man, I thanks really for having me on, dude. I love the conversation, really. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate it so much, and I know that our Millionaire Secrets audience does too. Uh, a formal dude, thanks thing. for sharing your stories too, for real. You know, because uh, and thanks for letting me pull some things out of you. That was great. <laughs> oh yeah, tremendous. Well, you've, you, I, I can tell you one of the reasons you're good at what you do is you have a, you have a really good, you have a, a I would say great, in my personal opinion, a great voice. I don't know oh, if you've ever you. been told that, but like, thank you. I'm not surprised you've excelled at podcasting and, and oration in general. Um, but uh, yeah, this has been great, man. Thank you from all the Millionaire Secrets audience. It's been great having you. Great to be here, dude. All right. Take care. See ya. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.